name is same, or, well, yes, let's, let's expand that. Um, it's almost like highs and lows, name is same, yes, if something happened that was wonderful, please do that. If something happened that wasn't that wonderful, you could also mention it and we can pray for you in this circle, which is not a circle. <coughs> name is same. What? Yes. Yes, Margrit. Thanks. 
courageously bring one stop teaching. You want to do a prayer first, you know, that eases yourself, like, into the teaching. And now I just did that. It's like, damn it. That's why I'm waiting. So, um, I feel like a bit loud. So, can you keep? Can you get Yeah. I'm sorry. So, so uh, tonight's title is about the Irma and me. The Irma. It sounds so. Uh, I'm gonna say American. Uh, I don't know if anybody here knows Irma. Uh, have you heard about Irma this week? Yeah. I think one of the real 
is that he provokes humans to actually show, show our true colors of who we are. Right, so using in storms like these, before the US was in, in the Caribbean, right? And I read a quick, uh, quick article that said there's about 1,600 people there, and I actually saw a short video of the mayor or whoever was there saying that 95% um, of the houses are flattened. Right? And then just like 5% are left, but pieces of it are left. And, and then you stop realizing how people react. Towards this. Like, I actually read also an article uh, to fill into one hand said about those posters shooting into the storm. There's a, there's a lot of people that have this opinion about storms are God's way of talking. Uh, I read an article where there was a guy, I'm not sure what his name is, oh, I can't remember what his name is, where, where he wrote that maybe this is God's anger or telling us to slow down or to take better care of earth um, which I agree with in, in a way but also don't agree with uh, and we'll get back to that a little bit later um, and then you get the social political analysts which say like everybody is so worried about the storm hitting the US uh, but African babies are dying and nobody has Facebook or tweeted or text anything about that and then this whole emotional reality starts playing about who is right and who is wrong who is more uh, in, in, in trouble or what is more important than them or us which is a big part of our role of who we are as human beings because we always measure up. We always make that, we draw that line and we say, you know, when I get into this situation, I will go for the easiest or the hardest or the more important or even the least important option in this situation. So these are all questions of reality that you actually need to revise because when, when I actually ask how does this make you feel, if you hear comments like these, um, especially a pastor that got a vision saying let's shoot into the storm and it will go away. You know, uh, how does things like that make you feel? If you hear me saying that there's actually been bigger problems than a big storm like this, which is massive, how does that make you feel towards who do we then need to help? Because that's actually the question that comes up in my mind. Because I'm, I'm always frustrated because we are, we are living in a country where poverty and, and rich and the middle class, uh, we are living or at least moving amongst one another. So we are faced with difficult social realities every day, making choices. Ignoring some people, accepting some people, you know, making choices every day in a life, in a world, in a country where you are faced with good and bad, poor and rich realities. Uh, so before we go there, I, I actually want to um, talk about Paul, uh, which you all saw, right? So uh, one of the, the beautiful things about uh, Paul is that he's one of the guys that uh, writes most of the New Testament. 
uh, with quotes, with text, with quotes, things we maybe live by, which we go by through. But the thing about once again is, is like what I've been doing the last few times that I've teaching is actually how did Paul meet Jesus? If we, if we think back, but back when we spoke about Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, Jesus met him face to face, told him, let's have a meal. Think about Peter, he was busy fishing, Jesus met him face to face, saying, I will make a fishes of men, and now we have Paul. Paul, which is a great guy, but a very determined personality as well. The tough thing about Paul, he's like one of the guys that know what life is about and what he's going to do about life. He really doesn't stop and he doesn't really care, you know, who is in his way or not. And one of the great things about, about Paul is that actually that he is a Roman slash Jew person, identity, like citizen. So he's got like sort of best of both because um, he needs to be treated as a Roman because he's a Roman, but he's also a Jew, meaning that he knows Jewish way of life. And, and the, the great thing about it is, is when, we, when, when we are reminded about who Paul was before we met Jesus, is that he was actually a guy that after the death and resurrection and Jesus going uh, back to the Father, he was one of the guys that went to the high priest. He went. Let's take note. He went to him. Nobody told him to. He's determined. He went to him and said, well, there are these people which we now call the way. Um, like, and that's, that's like a thing in that time, most probably, because that's new lingo. There's a new faith, so, and we call the people of the way. And you as high priest, which is in, uh, well, kind of the reason why Jesus was crucified, do you, would you give me the opportunity, uh, the blessing? Um, Will you accept that I will go to Damascus, where I heard there's more of these disciples of the way, so that I can go and capture them and bring them back here for maybe imprisonment or even death. So that was Paul's mission. As, as a human being, that is what he was driven to do. And every one of us sitting here, we, for a moment, we had to take that in about the reality about Paul's personality. Because Paul was one of those people who didn't really meet Jesus face to face. He didn't have that reality. Maybe he only heard the stories and he never had an opportunity to sit maybe around the table with Jesus and see the things that he does. But he's determined as a human where he is and his political, religious views and he needs to stop this new way. And in Acts 9, um, we actually find that uh, Paul comes to know Jesus. And I'll put the text for, for us uh, on the screen, uh, so you can just read with me. But Saul, which is Paul, still breathing threats and murdering against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for a letter to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
So just for a moment there, just take this in. I'm on my way from, to, uh, from, from the main city, Jerusalem, all the way to Damascus, on my way to go and convict these men and women. Uh, it's quite relevant that they actually need to put women in this text because women were some of the first really convicted followers of Jesus. And, and he gets this light that uh, starts shining around him and he falls to the ground. It's like, you know, hands up <laughs> moment. He falls to the ground uh, and he hears this voice asking him a question and he doesn't answer. He's just like, who are you, Lord? That's the response that he has immediately. Who are you, Lord? It's like he actually gets asked the question and then he's just like, no, 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 no. Who are you, Lord? It's very important for me to know what I'm dealing at this moment before I actually answer you. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So they didn't see the light. So that's probably why they didn't fall to the ground. But imagine Paul suddenly falls to the ground, and they hear this voice talking to them. Well, to, to Saul, but they're hearing it as well. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. For, for a moment, let's pause there. Just actually, a bit of ironic this is that Paul is on his way to persecute the people who loves Jesus and is following Jesus, which is called the way. Meets Jesus in a light, gets convicted by Jesus, and then what happens? He can't see, even though his eyes are open. Which is, in a way, the reality of which we understand actually a physical reality that happened. But also a little bit ironic. Because if a man like Saul is going to Damascus with a purpose, he actually knows what he's doing. So he, his vision is clear. But for a moment when he met Jesus, it all went dark. Now, if you actually think about your own life and so on, if you maybe had a moment of challenging Jesus to show himself to you and something like this happens to you, just for a moment, we maybe one of the things that we would love would have wanted to see is actually maybe Jesus, you know, yourself and brings in. It's your mom or dad who passed away, you know. I'm standing with Jesus, you hear the voice and it's a crazy experience. But it's not. It's just why are you persecuting me? Please stop like please stop. I'm not gonna see for a moment. Continue on to Damascus. But and your James will lead you on. So this blind man which is actually a weak man now, moves into the masses. He doesn't eat or drink for a day. I, I'm not sure that because he was fasting, I don't think so. I, don't think so. I think it's because he was shocked. But the reality, because his world was turned upside down. And in fact, he was mainly hit by his own personal little storm. Because let's just say for a moment that you are so convicted that Jesus is not the way at all and he is a hypocrite and a guy, all his followers that he left behind needs to die and suddenly Jesus stops you and just say, whoa, you can continue on but you won't be able to see. 
So from strong and mighty to all the way weak little soul. Uh, the text goes on. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Right? Am I saying it right? Ananias. Yeah. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Do you see the difference here? Who are you? Here I am. Who are you? Here I am. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight. <laughs> and at the house of Judas, Side note, which is actually a little bit ironic because we all know Judas, the name Judas. It's like a name that doesn't sound so pleasant in that time, you know. But I'm not sure that would have been a right exegesis. The house of Judas looked for the man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So, for a moment, the disciple of Jesus here isn't really understanding the irony here because Jesus is sending a guy to him that he wants to imprison and hopefully kill if he doesn't want to be convicted. So, Imagine you are so convinced to get killed and at the end of the day, they are called to save you. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bring all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Uh, the, the reason why the Gentiles there is highlighted uh, is because, like, at this moment, still the way was most probably mainstream saw just for to get Jews to be converted. And Jesus is making a new statement here by saying, I'm bringing up somebody that's not only going to talk to Jews, but to Gentiles, to kings, to children. So the diversity is like from the most important to the least important. For I will show him how much he must, he must suffer for the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, and immediately something like a skulls fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then, the, then he rose and was baptized. So there's like a shortcut there, going straight to where Paul received his sight back. Now just for a moment, imagine that anxious, scared follower of Jesus going to that house. And just saying, like, I'm here to help all see again. And then, for a moment, maybe, just realize also the reality of what happened, the irony of what's happening there about grace. Where your enemy saves you. What did he, Jesus told his disciples? I know you have been taught to love one another, but I say it's more important to love your enemy. 
And this is just a beautiful picture of the, actually that scene of Bork in his Roman clothes, uh, on his back, experiencing the light and everybody standing around him in the walls. But this gives you the, actually this, this, image, this image just captures actually that reality of what's happening in that moment. So, now we've got Paul's conversion here in like a short story and actually starting to see new, maybe new perceptions about it, about what God is doing or busy doing with soul, which we now call Paul. And actually changing the way that he sees life. So for a moment, also, some people I think would have been angry with God if he made them blind, right? It just comes back to that social media pop, you know, politics. But why did God allow him to get blind? Um, one of the things that this guy actually said in his, in his comments was that, um, a bit more even, maybe this is God's way of um, telling us through Irma that um, we need to slow down. Uh, and then one of the comments was, uh, ridiculous that your God will kill people to do that. Social media politics. But it's important that we remember quotes like that. So, from Paul's story and from Irma's story comes the reality. Because there's things that we need to learn from it. And very important, there's things that we need to unlearn from it. So one of the main things about Paul is that we need to learn that Paul actually was on his way to do something bad. And as we hear from the disciples' point of view, that if for somebody that you dodge, you don't go close to those people, because they are probably going to imprison you or kill you. Just in the sideline note, the disciples actually say, in longer words, because they show that that is my enemy, out to kill me. And, and one of the things that the disciple needed to unlearn most probably was just to say, when he said, here am I, Lord, come out of high water. And, and the thing is, what we sometimes miss here is that when we say, Jesus, I love you, he's maybe going to respond in a way that's going to make you so uncomfortable that you are really not going to want to do it. And then this story reminds us that you need to stop, pause, and actually realize that that uncomfortableness is actually telling you that maybe for the first time or for a long time that that was God's word. Because usually we try and justify when God pushes us a little bit out of our comfort zone. But remember, it is Saul, the one that has a letter in hand, allowing him to kill me. Well, if I go easy. You will be prison. And the disciple needed to unlearn that my life is not in my own hands anymore. Which is a difficult thing. It's not easy. It's, it's not easy at all to actually accept it. It's great to read those stories, but 
But when it's you, it sucks. That's the point. But it's to be reminded that there can come so much more beauty, beauty from that story than destruction. The one thing that we've learned from Irma is not only big storms, but people's way of thinking. That we know that there's a lot of people that will hoi critiques towards what is social justification in a different way, if that even makes sense. But let's, let, let me try and explain this for myself a little bit easier. There are better things to worry about than the storm. There are more people already dying of malaria than the storm. There are more people who are, are hungry and doesn't have water than the storm. Because the storm is hitting the USA, which is a rich country. So it's their problem. They will be able to sort themselves, but let's help those who can't help themselves. Which all sounds good, great and fantastic. But it's something we need to unlearn. And this is going to be hard, because what it comes to is the reality that we cannot draw a line anymore. When we say we are part of the way. We cannot draw a line between rich and poor. We cannot draw a line between sick and healthy. We need love them all. We're going to say that you have more than me because this is actually how we justify it. If you think about it clearly. Because I don't have a house, but you have a house. I don't need to help you because you are more well-off than me. You have more money, most probably more power than me, so you actually need to help me. Just for a moment then pause and actually think how you justify or draw that line in your own personal life. Who you need to help and who you don't need to help. Because it makes more sense to help those who have less than you. And that sounds more like the gospel thing to do, but it's not. Because if Paul was called to help kings, and children, it meant that Jesus said that my way is for everyone. And, and what I'm saying is about how we need to unlearn it is that we need to come to the place where we don't say we help where the storm is the biggest. We help where we are. We help who we know and who we don't know. Who we have known for years and who we have met today. Willingly and unwillingly. That's usually the hardest one. Unwillingly as well. And, and the beauty about this is actually that it opens up your heart. And it takes away the line that you draw between yourself and all humans around you. Knowing that the step that Anyas need to do all the way from wherever he was to Damascus, I most probably thought that he had a few obskitgebekies about Lord. Send me, but not me. 
Laughable but not creepy. Capable and let him see you have you I saw Lazarus again back and alive. Don't you just want to let be more sarcastic, Lord, use a woman. <laughs> Take a child and save Paul's life. Let use me. Because we don't always feel comfortable with God, what God wants us to do. So it's easy to go now, but is Nick saying that I don't need to draw the line, or I need to draw a line, or I need to love some more than others? No. You need to love all people. That is the reality. And in that reality, there will be different truths. When there's a, a tropical storm running through, you're going to help with rebuilding homes, most probably, and lives. When there's a political storm, you're going to help by rebuilding with hope and with grace and speaking the truth. And this is a great thing that I've learned this week. Um, I was listening to a podcast and the guy said, because usually we, when I spoke, I say God, uh, one of God's first languages is silence. But then he, he, he touched my mind a bit and I went and I thought about it. It's like, in, in our way of life in South Africa, we keep quiet a lot. Especially when wrong has been done or when we are part of something wrong that's been done. Because everybody does it. Or this is just the way we do it. And that is wrong. Uh, and where we actually say, what, what, I've, what I've twitched a bit is, is God's first language maybe is silence. But that silence creates opportunity for us to speak. Otherwise, we will, we will poison that silence into corruption, into fraud, into disrespect, into not loving your neighbors, caring for them. And that comes to our training naked, which is a short and sweet. When it comes to helping, loving others, never draw a line. And an easy example of this is when somebody maybe asks you for help, or you can actually see that that person needs help, be the one that gives that help. In a loving, kind, encouraging way. And even though you're not going to want to do it, remember the story of how Paul made Jesus. Who one of the people he wanted to imprison. And when we think of Irma and the destruction that she's doing at this moment, and all the storms yet to come, and when somebody maybe tells you you're about this or that, you say, no, I am praying for it now. I'm praying for my colleagues. I'm praying for everybody. I don't need a social justice Facebook page to tell me who to pray for. I pray for everything. I care for everyone. I love everyone. That is who I want to be. And then you end with the most scariest 
ever do in your entire life. Because you will do it without a beam of light, a text message, a biblical text, a prophet speaking to you. You will do it in silence. You will say, here I am, Lord. What do I need? And if you don't get an answer, you say, here I am, Lord. I'm going to do it. Even if I fail, even if they laugh, or even if it's the greatest story somebody will tell. Because Anyas have a I'm the one who helped Paul see again. But it wasn't easy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can just sit here and be reminded about being vulnerable, brave, and just being in a space where we are reminded that loving others, caring for others, helping others, is not about drawing a line about who is first and who is last. But it becomes a reality that we will actually help who is closest. That we will not only acknowledge the need, but that we will be part of the hope, the encouragement, the grace, the forgiveness, the building. And I pray, Lord, that you will forgive us for the times that we maybe have been picky. But help us to love you more and in that be stupidly brave like I am to say, here I am, Lord. Let's love others. We pray this in your name alone. Amen. So, 